we come to the heart of our service this morning, and that is where we hear the very words of God. Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 18. It says, The disciples of John reported all of these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent him to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come, they said, John the Baptist has sent us, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many, of the, on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who were dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was spoken before I send my, mess before I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized by the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. What then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling to one another, we played the flute for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you said, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. May the Lord bless and use his word this morning. All right, quick question for you as we begin. How many names do you have? Uh, you, you, you have several names. Uh, they're the names that your parents gave you. Uh, maybe there's some names that your classmates uh, have called you. Uh, maybe there's some uh, names that you picked up as a, a nickname. Maybe there's some names that you get in different settings at work or at home or some other place. Uh, all kinds of names that we go by. I once met a man in Eunice who didn't have a nickname. It was just one guy. Uh, those Cajuns, they, they love nicknames. In fact, usually they had two or three nicknames. And some of those nicknames, man, they were, they were tough. And there was one guy they called Zero. So uh, why, why do you call him Zero? Well, he doesn't know very much. I said, well, you don't ever say that to his face. Oh, yeah, we called him that since high school. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Uh, it, it was a tough crowd there. But sometimes we go by multiple names. We have different things that we are called. And the reason that I talk about this this morning is that when we think about what are the followers of Jesus called, the people of Jesus called, the people of Jesus have multiple names inside of the New Testament, inside of Scripture. 
Probably the one that we're most familiar with is the term Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a Christian. One of the things that's interesting is that in the New Testament, the word Christian only appears three different times. It's not a really popular name in terms of the New Testament itself. Probably the term that is probably the most often used term for the followers of Jesus is disciple. Disciple. Now, when we see disciple in Scripture, most of the time we think the Big 12. But really, when Scripture talks about disciple, it's talking about anyone who has said, I'm following Jesus, and he's the one that I'm following. There's one other term uh, that I want to think about this morning, and that is the term believer. And in fact, we find the term believer in the New Testament quite a few times. And probably today, it is probably one of the terms that we probably use the most today and matches in terms of Scripture. I think the word believer is a good word. I I think it's a, a great word to describe the followers of Jesus because belief is so central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's a great verse in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31. It tells us that they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe. The pathway to know God, the pathway to find God is to believe. Last year we spent a great deal of time in the Gospel of John. And we would talk on a regular basis that John says, I write these words so that you may believe. That's the whole reason that I tell you the story of Jesus. It's not so that you'll be entertained, not so that you'll be informed, but so that you will believe and that you will become a believer. And just here in Luke chapter 7, moving back to the beginning of the chapter, remember we talk about the centurion. And Jesus is amazed by his belief, amazed by his faith. He says, I haven't found anyone that believed like this in all of Israel. Believing is the whole pathway to know God. Now what that does is that leaves us with just a handful of questions that I want us to think about this morning. The first question is, if believing is so critical and is so important, why would somebody doubt? If believing is so central, How could somebody doubt? The second question that I want us to think about is, well, why would somebody believe? (laughs) What is the reason why we should believe? And then the third question that I want us to think about this morning is, well, why doesn't everyone believe? So why does a person doubt? Why should I believe? And why doesn't everyone believe? If Belief is so central to our story. Let's start with that first question. Why would somebody doubt? The center of the story this morning revolves around John. This is John the Baptist. This is the same person that is talked about in Luke chapter 1 where the angel comes to Zacharias and says, your prayer has been answered and you're going to have a son and your son is going to point to the one who is to come. He is going to point to the Messiah. He is going to point to the person who all of history is going to hinge on. That's this John. This is the same John that when Mary arrives with Jesus in her womb, 
that she arrives at John's mother's house, and John hasn't been born yet. John's mother says, my child leapt inside of the womb at the sound of your voice, knew the presence of the one who was to come. John's a really big deal. And here comes John again in this passage of Scripture. John is one of the great figures of all of Scripture. But in this passage, John says, I've got questions. In this passage, John happens to be sitting in, in prison. He, he said some things that weren't really appreciated by people in power. And he's sitting there in prison, and the stories of Jesus are trickling down. The stories of all that Jesus is doing is, is reaching everywhere, including his jail cell. And John's response to these amazing stories is not, I knew it. It was, I don't know. I don't know. In fact, John has a couple of his guys go and talk to Jesus and his guys. And the question is, are you the one? Or are we supposed to keep looking for someone else because you're not the one? Now that's kind of surprising. John had one job. Literally, from the moment he was born, Point to the one. And in fact, some of the people came up to John in his preaching ministry and they said, Hey, John, are you the one? He's like, No, 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 no. I'm not the one. I'm only pointing to the one. And then when Jesus approaches as an adult and comes to where John is preaching, John points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one. But on this day, John says messengers and says, are you the one? Or is there another one? Is there someone else that we're supposed to be looking for? Man, how can this guy have that kind of doubt? Well, I think there's several reasons. One is he wants to be right. Anybody here like being right? I, 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 like, I like to be right, at least from what I remember. Uh, it was really enjoyable that one time. I, I, I like to be right. John wants to be right. You want to be right. And so when it comes to this really important question, he says, am I right? I want to make sure that I'm right. And particularly since John's whole life purpose is point to the one. He's like, i got to make sure that I know who the one is. And so he doubles back and says, listen, if I'm going to tell everybody who the one is, I need to be sure. I've got to double check that. You ever have things that you're sure that you're sure about, but you still have a question? Did, did you leave the iron on? Did, 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 did you put something away? Did, did you remember to pick something? And, and it's like, I know that I did, but maybe I... Maybe anybody turn around and go back to the house because they wanted to check on something that they knew that they knew, but just was a little voice. I think John's got that little voice. My job 
is to point to the one. He's the one. I'm pretty sure he's the one. Let me double check one more time. Are you the one? It's so important that he wants to be right. Because he so much wants to be right, he wants to double check it. I think that's understandable. I think there's another part of it for John. He's sitting in prison. Not one of our fancy prisons today. I mean, I don't think this is a good place to be. He's sitting there in prison. He's like, well, if he's the one, why am I here? All I did is spoke truth. You would think if the one had arrived, I wouldn't be here. Are, are, are you the one or do we need to look for somebody else? I, I think that he was sitting there in prison and saying, well, if he's the one, man, why hasn't he fixed my wagon? Why hasn't he rescued me? Why am I still here? Why am I stuck in these circumstances? This isn't good. If he's the one, I shouldn't be struggling like I'm struggling. I think he sat there in prison and said, if he's the one, why is the world still so messed up? If he's the one, why isn't it that I can't feel the world getting better in a moment? Why are there still miserable people who are in charge? Why are there still lying and cheating? Why are all of these things still happening? If he's the one, why is that happening? And I think sometimes John had the same thing that you and I have sometimes, and that is just some, some natural doubts. I know, but what if I'm wrong? I know, but man, so-and-so over there doesn't agree with me. I think there's an element that you and I have to deal with this more than folks have had to deal with for a long time. Because I think that the trend of our culture is moving away from the same kind of belief that we have. And for a long time, it felt like we had a whole culture that went with us and said, of course we believe these things. We all believe these things, except for a few strange people who don't. You know what? We're the strange people now. We're, we're, we're the people like, you know, nobody believes that, except for a few strange people over there. We're the strange ones. And sometimes that absence of peer reinforcement where everybody says, of course we believe that, inside of your family, inside of your friend circle, in front of your workplace, from the media in all kinds of directions. I'm not trying to be negative about it, but it, it's true. And sometimes that can run some questions inside of our mind. And because of that, there are moments, there are circumstances, and there can even be seasons where we have a doubt. I probably don't need to tell you that because across this room, in different ways, shapes, and intensities, 
you've experienced a flash of doubt. Now, some of you have been really, really efficient at pushing those flashes of doubt away and so that they, they, they barely stay there for a moment. For others, sometimes that flash of doubt hits a little kindling. And that flash of doubt starts to, to kind of settle for a while. It sticks for a while, and you don't know what to do with it. What I want you to know is that even one of the greatest figures in all of Scripture had a moment to a season of doubt. I want you to know, and this is a strange thing for me to say, I want you to know that sometimes doubt is a good sign in your life. And what I mean by that is that the reason you have doubt is because you are taking the unbelievable seriously. If you treat the Word of God, if you treat the story of Jesus as a fairy tale, as just a story, then you don't have doubts. It's just a story. It's just a thing. It's not really meant to be believed. But the only reason that you would have doubts is because you are dealing with the fact, is it true that God spoke this universe into existence? Is it true that God became man and dwelt among us? Is it true that that same man laid down his life for us? Is it true that that one who was buried and in the grave for three days rose again? It's unbelievable. And if you have doubt, that means you've actually picked up these unbelievable truths. Said, so how does this fit inside of my life? You see, I think that the opposite of doubt isn't always belief. It's just ignoring. I think if you're going to believe, you've got to pick up the unbelievable. And you've got to wrestle with that and say, how does this fit inside of my life? And so I want you, I want you to be a believer. But I don't want you to run away and cry if you have a moment of doubt. Others have been there. And I want you to know that I believe that doubt is taking seriously the unbelievable truth of God. Now, I want you to finish wrestling with that. And I want you to land on belief. But I want you to know that the reason why we doubt is because we are called to believe really big things. And that's a process that we have to go through. Why would someone doubt? Now, that kind of leads us to a question like, well, pastor, you've talked me out of the whole thing. <laughs> so the next question is, why would somebody believe? In fact, when the messengers come to Jesus, it almost gives us this picture of Jesus as being too busy. Jesus is just busy healing. He's busy performing miracles. He doesn't stop and say, oh, no, John's got questions. What am I going to do about John's doubt? What am I going to do? John's doubt is going to make him look bad. He's going to make me look bad. He just keeps doing what he's doing. And when they come to him and say, John wants to know, are you the one or should we go look for a different one? Jesus says, well, 
What do you see happening right now? What's, what's happening before your eyes right now? And they say, well, you know, people are getting healed and, and the, the blind are, are being given sight and, and the dead are being raised and the people who have no hope are being given hope. The poor are being preached the good news. And what do you see in terms of the response? What you see in terms of the response is that people are having to deal with Jesus who is unlike anything else in all of history. And they've got to deal with the otherness of Jesus. And so I would say to you today, why, why should you believe? I want you to know that lives are still being changed. I want you to know that God is still intervening. God is still interrupting the things of this world to put His will, His way, His healing in the middle of. God is still at work in this very moment. Jesus remains something that cannot be explained. Jesus remains a person who cannot just be put on the shelf of history along all the other historical characters. Jesus continues to be different and other than any person who has ever lived. All of those things are still true today. And I'll tell you that there's one more thing that's true today. And that is for two millennium, there has not been a single generation that hasn't risen up and say, it's time to get rid of Jesus. There hasn't been a single generation where there hasn't been a thing that says, you know what, Jesus is for the past. Jesus isn't for today. Jesus is overrated. Jesus' influence needs to be dealt with. For 2,000 years, nearly somewhere, someplace in every generation, there's the desire to eliminate the influence of Jesus. And this morning... It was 30 degrees, and here you are, because Jesus is alive and true and believable. And across town, and across town, and around the world, people continue to gather in this place. And I will tell you that His Word continues to be alive and living Word. As a person who stands before a group of people every single week, and the only thing that I have to stand on is what is it that the Word of God says? I've never come up empty. I've been doing this for almost 30 years now. I've never come to a passage of Scripture and said, ooh, well, that's just not going to play today. That's not going to connect with anyone. That's not going to speak in anybody's life. These old, ancient words are living words that speak into our lives today. I want you to know that our belief, your belief, is an incredible, reasonable belief. And in fact, today, today, people are choosing to give their life to Jesus today. Today. Jesus is not just the past. He's not just from the book. 
but he is alive and changing lives. And people are saying yes to him today. Today. There are new believers today. So I understand why somebody would doubt. But it's incredibly reasonable that you should believe. Which does lead us to one other question. Well, why doesn't everybody believe? How is it that you can say no to Jesus? With what he comes, what he brings, what he offers. How is it that someone can say no to Jesus? One of the things that Jesus says in this passage of Scripture, he says, go and tell John what you see here, and the lame are being uh, healed, and the blind are being given uh, sight, and the poor are having the good news uh, preached to them, and the dead are raised. And then he says this one uh, statement here. He says, blessed are those, he says, blessed uh, are those who are not tripped up. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, now this is really simple, but one of the reasons why people don't believe is they don't like Jesus. Jesus comes in humility and power. Jesus comes with grace and forgiveness. Sometimes people say, you got anything else? Sometimes the truth that Jesus brings just doesn't match what somebody's looking for. In fact, I think that there's part of it is that sometimes Jesus doesn't match our expectations. We have a picture and say, this is what Jesus should look like. Man, if we had the time, the space, and I had the artistic talent to just go across all the walls of the building here painting the different pictures that people think that what Jesus looks like. I just don't mean his physical, but I mean, I think Jesus cared most about this. I think Jesus cared most about this. Jesus, and you know what most of the time is? What we're saying is, I think Jesus was a lot like me. I think Jesus cared about all the same things that I care about. And so we bring our sense of expectations. We see this because there's this rivalry in people's minds, not in Jesus' mind, but there's this rivalry between John the Baptist and Jesus. And their personalities are so different. Their, their ministry philosophies are so different. Their roles are so different. John the Baptist lives in the wilderness Sort of like a wild man. He, he, he could get his own TV show on, on cable. I mean, he, he is just a, he is an odd duck. He dresses funny. He talks funny. He eats funny. He, he, he just is a wild man. And he doesn't care who he offends. And he just kind of lays it all out there. And, and, and there's nothing fancy about him. There's nothing polished about it at all. And he just doesn't seem to get along with people very well. And people say, man, that guy... And there's something about him is not normal. He just doesn't have normal social behaviors. Man, that guy's crazy, man. I think he has a demon. And so we're going to ignore John because it just doesn't fit my 
personal sensibilities. But then here comes Jesus, and Jesus goes to parties. <laughs> Jesus turns water into wine. Jesus doesn't just get along with his little circle. He gets along with people who are in some really different circles. And they look at Jesus and say, man, something's wrong with that guy. That person who just hangs out with all of those people, you can't trust somebody like that. And people say, I want, I want my Jesus to be more like this, or I want my Jesus to be more like this. In fact, Jesus finishes this little conversation, and, and he says to them, he says, you guys are like children in the marketplace, which everybody likes to hear. Uh, you guys are just like a bunch of kids, just wild kids. He says, you call to one another. We played a dance for you and you, do, we, and you did not dance. We played a dirge for you and you did not weep. In other words, we played happy music and you didn't like the happy music. We played sad music and you didn't like the sad music. We're playing the song and you don't respond. You know, I think one of the reasons why not everybody believes is because some people just always have one more excuse. There's just always one more excuse. I, I don't like the way this sounds. I don't like the way he said this. I don't like this emphasis. I, I don't like this. Man, in my years in ministry... I've spoken to so many people that have come so close to believing, but at the last minute they can grab one more excuse. One more excuse. One more reason. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. I think even with Jesus in the flesh right there in front of you, there are people who have the ability to just grab one more excuse. So what does this mean for our lives today? Well, there's a few things that I want us to think about. One of the ones that I want you to think about is that your belief is not crazy. Your belief is not crazy. Like I said, sometimes because there seems to be this trend of our culture it can make us feel insecure. Everyone else is going one direction, and we feel like we're going the other direction, and we just kind of look around and say, well, maybe I'm out of my mind. You're not crazy. You're not crazy. Jesus is a completely reasonable faith choice in your life. You are not crazy. If you have to stand in the mirror and tell yourself that, tell yourself that. You are not crazy for your belief. I would also tell you that there are some people that, that you're going to come in contact with this week that do not yet believe, but they're waiting to be introduced to Jesus. Again, sometimes we think, well, I don't think anybody else would believe. I mean, I believe, but I don't think anybody else would believe. Again, if you believe, it is quite likely, 
it is quite likely that someone else will believe as well if you tell them about Jesus. And then one last thing. Jesus is a choice for you to make. Stand on that borderline between doubt and belief. And you may be wavering and you may get really close and no, I don't know. But let me encourage you to believe. It's an interesting thing Jesus says about John the Baptist because, you know, there's a lot of people like, well, John's got these doubts. What are we going to do about John? John says, let me just let me tell you that out of all the people who have ever been born of women, which would be all of them, he says, John is the greatest. Don't, don't let this moment of wavering or question from John make you change your mind about John. Of all the people who have ever been born of women, John is the greatest. And then he says, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John. What does that mean? What that means that if you will believe, if you will believe, then you will be in the kingdom of God. And that's greater than any resume that John the Baptist has. And being in the kingdom is greater than anything else. If you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that is the greatest experience that you'll ever have in life.